0: Hey there, welcome to the Clyde podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Clyde, and I'm so glad you hopped on. We are in the middle of Advent season here in December. And of course, I love bringing you episodes where people hop on and share about how Jesus is colliding with their life and showing up, and today is no different. But I purposely invited a friend of mine, Pastor Doug Bunnell, onto the podcast. He has been a huge influence influence in my life and my leadership and also in Collide, the ministry. And so I asked him to come on and have a conversation about myths regarding the nativity. I have a feeling that you will be challenged at least to open up your Bible and read it after you hear this podcast and that you might be truly inspired to be curious and relearn some things. So check it out. Doug, you know that I always love talking to you, and of course, uh, have had you and Lori on the podcast in the past. You guys came on a few um, Advents ago and shared about your story and your story of losing Zach and uh, the grief process. And that uh, podcast episode has been so impactful. I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you for coming on
1: today. It's a joy to be here, Willow. My answer to Clyde is always yes.
0: <laughs> be careful what you say, Doug. You know I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you for lots of stuff. No, I'm just kidding. It's a joy.
1: Always a joy.
0: Yeah, well, you've been so influential and impactful already, so I'm very grateful. Doug, I'm hoping today we can talk about myths of the nativity. Uh it seems like a lot of people's thoughts and ideas during this Advent season sort of come back to this picture we have of the nativity scene with the donkeys and the wise men and this baby Jesus. And there's so much to learn and reflect upon in this season. But there's also some things that we assume are true that aren't true uh, that almost kind of shrink our faith or our idea of Jesus. So I'm hoping to chat with you about that. So I'd love for you to just come out of the gate with some myths about the nativity.
1: Oh my goodness, Willow, it's a softball across the plate because there is no story about Jesus that is more known in our culture than the birth story. People, people know it, but they know it from Christmas carols. They know it from songs. They know it. And and that's where we have such a flawed perspective on what is really going on. We have a flawed perspective, one, because we don't get it from the Bible. We usually get it from Christmas carols. So, you know, mm-hmm. we sing the beautiful song about little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. Um, <laughs> Jesus cried. There There is no... All healthy children cry. All healthy babies cry. The only babies that don't cry are the sickly ones. And so we know that Jesus cried. And so, but we have a song that says, little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. So that's that's one of those. Um, you mentioned wise men. Ironically, we talk about we three kings. We in, And we don't actually know. We know that they were magi. We call them wise men. There weren't three of them. There were probably a mm-hmm. large bunch of them, but there weren't, we say three because there were three gifts. And so the idea is like, well, there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there must have been one magi per gift. Um, but chances are they probably traveled with, with caravans of 15, 30 people. Um, so there was probably a very large contingent that were making their way. And they weren't kings and they weren't really wise men, they were magi. And probably they were more astrologers. They were people who knew stars. So um, there's that. And you mentioned the donkey. There's no donkey. Literally, (laughs) there's not a donkey in the story. And I love, and, and you know, the funny thing is, Willow, I love these myths. These myths, I grew up on these myths. I love the movies. I love the, I love all the movies about the nativity. I love playing with my crush set. But you know what? The shepherds and the wise men never hung out together. The shepherds appear in the Gospel of Luke. The wise men appear in the Gospel of Matthew, um, and the wise men were probably a year to two years after. So there's no, there's literally no chance that the shepherds and the wise men were out hanging out. Now in my in my crash, they're always hanging out. They're all there together on that same night. But mm-hmm. um, but that was that's just a myth that we hold on. So it's it's Saint Francis who developed that idea of the creche, that that nativity scene that all of us are so thankful for. Um, it was St. Francis. And Italians love these. They call them precipites. If you're ever in Italy, if you're ever in Italy during Advent, every little community just opens up their community center and they have hundreds and hundreds of these elaborate, incredible-looking creche sets because that's something that St. Francis encouraged them to start doing. So, you know, I, I love the creche set. It just does not reflect... What the Bible teaches, unfortunately.
0: Are you saying crush or crush? Crash,
1: crash. Crush crush. Crush. nativity sets. The, I the like little it. you know, the little Joseph, Mary, those the, the little the little sets that kids play with. Um our kids played with them. They're great.
0: Are there any negative implications to this whole we make up our own Christmas story melting um, pot kind of nativity crush experience?
1: Well, I mean, the the negative is mostly we often miss. And this is the negative thing I would say. This is my challenge as a pastor and my challenge as a Western thinker. We miss sometimes the core of what the Bible is trying to say because we input, we put our own framework around what the story says to us, which I believe God speaks in powerful ways. But we put our own framework about what the story says to us when we miss the point. So, here's the myth that is the most uncomfortable. Just spoiler alert, I am spoiling Christmas right now. Jesus was not born in a barn. There were no barns at that time. This was a very poor community. It is unthinkable that they would have built a separate building for animals. It is almost always the case that they had houses. And in those houses, people lived on one level. And then at think of like, think of like a half floor, a half floor down was the, was where the animals would live. And so it was very simple that almost every house had the manger right at that space where the right below where the animals lived. So they would have the manger just on the ground in the living arrangement, because that's where the animals would eat. And then if you had a really wealthy house, a really wealthy people, they would put a separate room on the side of the house. And that was sometimes known as the word that is the word that we interpret as "in." So when they talk about "in," there wasn't a hotel. There wasn't like an inn where Jesus, where Mary and Joseph could have stayed. They were saying that the bedroom, the extra bedroom that only wealthy people would have had, that was full. And so they were just... Mary gave birth to Jesus in a regular building, a regular house. Instead of like a special house off to this, a special building off, Mm -hmm. a special bedroom off to the sides, she gave birth in a regular house. And Jesus then slept in the manger, which was just part of the regular house. These were poor people. These were just people of the earth and of the land. And that's the story there. There's no story about Jesus in a barn. There's no story about a stable. Mm All of these things that we build and we think about and think that's so powerful, the reality is he was born among common people. He was born in a common way. And kids, people swaddled their babies. That wasn't special. It wasn't, you know, even we swaddle our babies. They just, you know, you you bundle them up tightly. Um, So all of these things were that Jesus was born in a normal situation to normal people, to common people of the time. And that's the story. Um But we get this whole story, and there's no sense that Joseph was running around searching for a place to have the child. We made that up. We made up this whole idea that there wasn't a place for them to have it, and Joseph was running saying, please, could there be someone to have a place to have my child? Remember, Joseph was a great-great-grandson of King David. Joseph was of royalty. There's no way that a Middle Eastern town at that time would have had a woman give birth in a stable by herself. There were people there. There were people that welcomed me. So all of these stories, these are wonderful myths that we hold on to, and we build all these different ideas around them, um, but they're not what the Bible is teaching. So as you People
0: said, as dangerous- are going crazy right now listening to this, Doug. They are opening their Bibles. They are fact-checking. You're making me want to read the Christmas story. I'm going right.
1: to definitely The beginning of Matthew, the beginning of Luke, that's where you'll find them.
0: So you're saying that common people would have had a baby and laid their baby in a major for animals.
1: It's a pretty normal thing to do. It would have been a pretty normal thing, but it would have, it was just, you know, I think if they were, if they were someone special, they would have been able to put them in that special bedroom. You know, they, it's, it's like having a guest bedroom. Mm-hmm. There would have been just one room. You know, you remember when Jesus says, when you light the lamp, you put it on a lampstand so it gives light to the whole house. Remember that that passage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a truism because their houses were one room. You know, none of us live in a house where if we lit a candle, it would light the whole house. It would mm-hmm. light one room of the house, maybe, but it wouldn't light the whole house. But when Jesus said that, it was really clear light this candle and it will light up the whole house because the whole house was just this one room. And then if you had a lot of extra money, you would have put this extra bedroom out on the side. But you then had have this house with animals living in it. And we even hear in the Bible, it says that they, the Pharisees, Jesus says, you know, the Pharisees, they take their animals out of their houses um, on the Sabbath day. So there's all these scriptures in we find in the Bible that just show animals and people living in the same room. And so the manger was just a pretty normal part of everyday life. And, but the story is telling the shepherds, hey, go, and you're going to find Jesus, and he's born, and he's going to be in swaddling clothes, and he's going to be in a manger like a common baby, like a baby born in that time, but he's a special baby, and that's what the shepherds were told. Hmm. and they weren't running. And they said, look, this is what God said would happen. And we saw it just like God said it would happen.
0: You talked about the sort of implications of us taking this melting pot story that we get from Christmas carols and Hallmark movies and uh, even stories we tell. And also from the nativity scene, we mix it all up and we sort of make up uh, and read between the lines a story that isn't necessarily true, and you talk about the implication being we miss the core of what the story is trying to say, so how would you sort of condense down what do you think is the core of what the Bible is trying to say in the Christmas story of Jesus coming
1: Oh, that's a great question, Willow, as you always do i would I would turn to a non Christmas text to do that. I would go to Mark chapter one. And Mark, as you know, has no, there's no nativity. There's no story of Jesus's birth in Mark chapter one. But here's how Mark chapter one begins. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. That's a very simple beginning, but it just says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Or the other word for Messiah is anointed, or we also use the word Christ, that Christ just is a word that means the Messiah. Um, so what Matthew and Luke are saying is this is the beginning of the story of this good news. And this good news is that God has entered the world, that God has entered the world in the, fa- in the shape, form of this baby who is going to go on to be the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. This is incredible news. And I think they're making this incredible news. And he doesn't come to Jerusalem. He doesn't come to the wealthy. He doesn't come the way you would expect some king to come. He comes to common people who were poor. And he comes to normal into a normal kind of almost hick town um, that doesn't even make it onto the maps. Nazareth is not even mentioned. It's not even in the early maps. It was so small and so poor. It didn't make it into the everyday maps. So when we say Jesus of Nazareth, they're saying Jesus of Hicksville, Jesus of Nowheresville, Jesus of this tiny little village that doesn't even make it on the map. But it's the story that that is God incarnate. We say that word incarnation. Incarnation Mm -hmm. is this sense that God is on the move, And this is this wonderful story. Christmas is about God is on the move, entering into the world. And you have to read the whole story, because then it gets to the Passion and Easter, and that's where the story is culminated, or the story begins, depending on how you take it.
0: I love that you're talking about this idea of God coming to a place that's not on the map and being born around common people— this image, though, of Jesus in a manger, some people can't get past it, almost like their faith stays there, or or um, it shrinks God, or they, they can't grasp the significance about God coming as a baby in human form. Talk to us about why that's significant
1: for us. It's a great question. I think it's something we are still—this is a mystery, Willow, that we will— Be wrestling with for years. So I don't have any simple, clear answer. What we have is that the world changes. The world changes because God enters. And we use these words imminent and transcendent, and this sense of this incredible sense that God is involved in the story now. Um, Part of the That we look forward to, and I'm going to take this. This this is going to be a little roundabout way, but I'll take this. We look forward to this time when we believe Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, we believe that he will come from heaven. And Revelation says that he will then take up residence. God will take up residence and live with God's people in the New Jerusalem. And that's that time when God and God's people, there's going to be no veil. Everyone's going to be living at the same place in the same time. And so Jesus entering in, God entering into the system as Jesus, is this beginning of this incredible change of now God and God's people are together. God is on the move in the world, and we now see this access that people have to God and this access that God has to people. Everything changes. Everything changes in Advent, but we don't know the significance of it until we read the story of The crucifixion and the resurrection, which are the good news, the best news. It's the incredible news. So, this is the beginning of the good news, but it's just the beginning. The birth is not the whole story. The whole story is that Jesus came, that he taught, that he came and he died, that he rose again. And the world has been different ever since that happened. So, Mm -hmm. the Christmas story is this great beginning, but you're right. We get these images of Jesus, but it's not just people have an image of Jesus in a manger. All of us, all of us are trying to take all of this truth, and we're trying to build an image of how we understand this mystery of God. And that image works for us for a little while, but then that image becomes an idol. And that idol becomes something that has to be torn down. And and you know this, Willow, I know this. Losing our idols is a very uncomfortable situation. None of us mm-hmm. like to have our idols torn down, but our idols get torn down, and then that makes way for this whole new, bigger, wider understanding. You're a fan of the Narnia books, right, Willow? Do you read? Did you ever read?
0: You I know, have never read that? them. Mm-mm. Oh,
1: someday, Willow. Someday, know, you and I and we'll read them. Well, there's this part of Narnia and Prince Caspian, and Lucy sees Aslan, who's the Jesus character. And she sees Aslan for the second time. And she says, oh my gosh, you're bigger. And Aslan says this powerful thing. He's like, every time you see me, I will be bigger. That's what spiritual formation, that's what spiritual formation is. That you and I begin to get this bigger, wider view of this incredible God who would come to earth and live in a manger as a human being. You know, we talk in Philippians, Philippians tells the story of Christmas in a beautiful way that Jesus humbled himself and takes the form of a human, that Jesus stoops. It's this, incredible, it's this incredible hymn. And then Philippians, Paul says, that's the way we are to live. We are to humble ourselves. We are not to take on glory that we think we are due. We are to enter as a servant and we are to humble ourselves. And then, Paul says, then we will be exalted.
0: I, I love all of this because one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about myths of the nativity is that there's this, this important thing that seems like it needs to happen in our faith, and I think you're touching on it, which is sort of unlearning some things and relearning. And that actually can inspire us to want to learn again, to want to grow, to open Scripture, and to deeply explore this God who who you say, in a sense, using the Narnia example, uh, says, I will always be bigger. I will always be bigger than you can imagine. And I think sometimes when we unlearn something, like we hear, whoa, there wasn't a donkey. And a manger's common, and there weren't three kings. We just throw the entire baby out with the bathwater, and we're like, it's all garbage. When in actuality, instead of unlearning and then throwing the whole thing away, we say yes to relearning. It opens up so many facets of who Jesus is, and that actually makes our faith so beautiful and exciting. But so often we, we aren't doing
1: that, right? We aren't doing that. Amen. Reach it. You're you're exactly you're exactly right. And I think, you know, I think we always have to be doing this. And and you know, sometimes people will use the word deconstructing, which is sort of if depending on what community you're in, that can be a positive word or it can be a very negative word. But part of deconstructing is peeling away and saying, What what that I have been given is true and what that I've been given is not true. If you're part of a faith tradition. You've been handed things that are true and you've been handed things that are untrue, not consciously. I'm a pastor and Willow knows that and Willow is a pastor as well. We don't ever intend to hand something down that is not true. It just happens. It's part of what we've been given and we hand it down. And later on we realize, oh my gosh, I don't believe that anymore. I don't think that's true. But we have to peel those things away and say what's left when we peel away the stuff that's not true. Um, So you're right. And it it should inspire us. It should inspire us to grow deeper and say, what is true here? And what's really going on? Because the story we read in the Bible, it's actually better than any story that you're going to find on Hallmark. It's better than any story that you're going to read, that you're going to watch. The story that we read in the Bible is this incredible story of grace and truth.
0: Did you know that you can support Collide by shopping at our store? Collide has a beautifully curated store where you can shop pretty things and support the work of Collide while you're at it. It's really a win-win. From Collide Bible studies and sweatshirts to candles, journals, jewelry, home decor, and more, it's the perfect place to grab a gift for someone you love or pick up something special for yourself. So hop over to our website at wecollide.net slash store to start shopping. And as a special thank you to our podcast listeners, check out the show notes for an exclusive offer. When you think about the people at the time and this idea that, uh, you know, the angels appear and, and they appear to the lowliest, right? They appear to the shepherds and they say, um, that today in the town of david uh the savior has been born and this is good news for all people when when that happens how do you think the people of the time took this good news did did they you know, had they heard um these kind of things before? Had other people, I mean, in your theological studies, had other people said that their God uh was birthed in human form? Was this the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard? What would religious people have thought?
1: It's a it's a great question. And you know, we're just the people that are scholars are putting together a sense of what they think was going on, but there was a fervor for messianic expectations. There was a fervor. You got to remember that Israel had been under the heel of Rome for a long time. They were hungry, they were desperate. They truly wanted to be freed from this Roman occupation. They wanted to be freed from these Gentiles that they found so offensive. They wanted to be free to be the country that they were called to be. So there was there was a fervor of a of a political leader who would lead them. Into mm-hmm. that type of freedom, um, and as we know, the rest of the story is that Jesus was not that political leader that they wanted. And and even at the end, when given a choice, there was this other man in the tomb, other man in prison, and his name was Jesus Barabbas. People at the end were given a choice: Do you want this political leader, Jesus Barabbas, or do you want this so-called Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth? And they said, "Give us Jesus Barabbas." So there, there was this. Fervor, but I think there was a definite fervor that people wanted a savior. They were hungry for someone to come in and save Israel. And so that they were hungry for that. But, you know, you mentioned the shepherds. We know that shepherds were fairly lowly. I, although, ironically, think of the great leaders of Israel. Moses, he was a shepherd. David, King David, he was a shepherd. Some of their mightiest leaders were shepherds. Some of their most powerful language for God is that God is the good shepherd. Um, in Ezekiel, they talk about the leaders that were not good. They call them bad shepherds. So there was the sense, but shepherds were not were, were very isolated. They were a very isolated community. So for them to come into town, for them to start talking about it, I think we found that the community at the time was like, what is going on? Something big, they felt the sense that something is happening, but they couldn't put it together. Just like the disciples, they knew something was happening with Jesus, but they didn't know the fullness of what it was. And it took them even years after the resurrection to recognize the fullness of what they had experienced and what they had seen.
0: You talked a little bit earlier about Jesus coming, and it's this sense of God is involved in the story. Certainly, God was involved in the story before Jesus came. So can you speak a little bit more about what you mean about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole story we see, we see the story of the Bible is the story of God involved and the Holy Spirit involved. But we get the sense that God is involved in a different way when Jesus enters the peace. And that's our understanding of it, um, that Jesus, when Jesus enters, if Jesus truly was God, if there was this human being, and this is a mystery, Willow, you and I know, this is one of the biggest mysteries in our faith, up there with the Trinity, that that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one and three all at the same time. The other mystery is that Jesus was fully God and fully human. I can't explain it, I can't parse it out. I can't, there's no scientific way for me to say how this happened, but we truly believe that Jesus was born fully God and fully human all at the same time. And so I think there's a sense that something was radically different now. You know, you and I talk about who do we think God is? This is one of the great, this is one of my favorite conversations. Who do we think God is? And we say, well, we think God might be like this, God might be like this, but when you and I talk about who God is, Willow, we are always drawing on Jesus because we believe Jesus is God. We can come and say, well, we know that God loves those who are on the margins because Jesus loved those who are on the margins. We know that God is compassionate because Jesus was compassionate. We know that God cares for those who are grieving because Jesus cared for those who are grieving. We know that God has hard words for those who are religious because Jesus had hard words for those Mm -hmm. who are religious. Our picture of God comes from Jesus. If Jesus was God, then we know so much more about God than we could ever know reading something else. So that's why I say something that's different It's this whole new way of understanding who this incredible almighty creator is, because now we have that creator appear to, our, to the disciples in human flesh. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing difference.
0: I, you're sort of beckoning, beckoning me backwards to being, you know, late teens, early 20s, before I believed there was a creator, let alone Jesus. But as I started asking, you know, what's the meaning of life and where is God and if he's real? why hasn't He shown up in my life? And um, God started stalking me and, of course, putting all these people who love Him in my life. And I started sort of asking questions about Jesus. And I I remember opening Scripture for the first time in my life because I didn't go to church as a child and I didn't read the Bible. And being blown away, not because I had decided I believe, but the invitation to consider this that if jesus is god which in some sense he makes a case if you want to know what god's like look at me and if he he truly is god emmanuel god with us and we open up scripture and we read about his life i i just i wasn't sure if i believed it but then as i started to look at jesus and what he's like talk about god involved in her story He's running into people's lives and bringing healing and reminding them that they're loved and bringing grace and truth and speaking up for people who can't speak up for themselves and um, curing sickness and inviting people into community who've been isolated. I thought, if this is God, I want something to do with God and I want God involved in my life. And I think that's what's What's such an invitation is maybe for those of us who've been following him, it's almost like we need to open up scripture again.
1: All over. You and are you are so right.
0: All over and say, consider this. If this is and, what God's like, yes. consider this. Right? And I
1: think we have to do this on a regular basis, Willow, because scripture is so deep. And in, in our church, we just spent six months sitting with Psalm 23 it's only six verses. We spent six months just sitting with Psalm 23. And at the end of those six months, I would say that we had just skimmed the surface of everything that is a part of Psalm 23. Scripture is so deep. And when we read these stories, I mean, I am coming across, I'm, you know, I've been doing this preaching thing and pastoring thing for 35 years, which is just makes me feel very old. And I am finding new stuff every single time I open the Bible. I am seeing things anew that just blow my mind. Right now, I am reading the Bible, thinking mm-hmm. that what if the disciples were 15 years old? There's very good. There's very good theories. There's very good evidence that the disciples were not the age of Jesus. That they were just 15. What? It just <laughs> I mean, every story is different now. It's totally yes. different when he calls them little children. I'm like, oh, that's because they were so much younger. I mean, it's.
0: Well, I definitely think there's some moms out there listening to you that are like, I'd like Jesus to grab my 15 year old and yeah. give him a piece of his mind.
1: Oh and, and, man. And to love them. But no, you are right. I think we there is something, and I, you know, back in the day, I mean, we just have to keep coming back. Jesus didn't say, Come be a part of my church. He said, The kingdom of God is near. And and he said, put your faith in me. And we have to keep coming and say, look at Jesus. And our job is just to tell people, look at Jesus. Check out Jesus. Don't look at the church. The church is flawed because it's full of flawed people like me. Um, the church is full of hypocrites like me. But look at Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? And if Jesus really is God, that is an incredible that is an incredible change of how we understand God. I sometimes think, you know, the Rosetta Stone, they talk about how big the Rosetta Stone was for understanding these different languages. I always think of Jesus as somewhat the Rosetta Stone. If Jesus was God, then we have stories of God on earth. And we know more about God than we have ever imagined we would know. And so as we spend time with Jesus, we are spending time with the one who we believe was God. It's a game changer.
0: We've spent some time talking about myths. And I'm curious if there are some things that aren't myths that we have heard about the Emmanuel that we might just need to have affirmed and re-hear.
1: Oh, there's there's so many of them as we come in there. Um, one of them, which is always a challenge, um, is just, you know, whenever, whenever we come to the Apostles' Creed, I do love the Apostles' Creed, it says that Jesus was born of a virgin. And that, that's one of those ideas that's gone back and forth, and people have been confused and fought and, and wondered if that's the word in Isaiah. Um, but what it says in Scripture is that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, what was going on in Mary was fully, 100% the Holy Spirit. So we have this sense that the Holy Spirit was part of Jesus' birth. And when Jesus talked, he said, you know, something is going to happen when I leave that's going to be the Holy Spirit. So we see the Spirit at work. Um, what also is true is we see Joseph, this really quiet character of Joseph, who is told these, given these visions and images by an angel, and he follows them. He doesn't play a big part in the story. No one wants to be Joseph in the Passion Play. Maybe because it's... (laughs) But no one wants to be Joseph. He's not... There aren't songs about Joseph. Um, But he is this incredibly devout person who just does what God tells him to do. And the same with Mary. In the story of Mary, we think Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old, Willow. It's just, she was really, really young. And she has this incredible sense. She is told that she is going to be a teenage unwed mother. Um, It's got to be a scary moment. And that Mm -hmm. that's God's blessing. God's Mm -hmm. blessing is she's going to become pregnant. Um, You know, how is her betrothed going to take that? How is Joseph going to take that? It's, It's a very scary moment. And she says, here I am. Let it be with me. So what we see in the story are these very faithful people. These faithful people who are called by God, told by angels that they have a role to play, and they take that role on, and they do it with devotion. They do it regardless of the consequence. So we have we have that incredible story. Um, the very beginning of Matthew, before we even get to the birth of Jesus, we hear about the birth of all of Jesus' ancestors, which includes these four women. When you go through, we've all heard the begats chapter one of Matthew is this horribly long begat chapter, which is just 14, 14, 14 groups of people that begat. But in that story, there are four women that are mentioned, which would surprise a first century listener. Why did they mention women? All four of those women are all outsiders. All four of them were non-Jewish women that are included in the story of Jesus's birth. Before we even get to meet Jesus, we hear that his story includes Gentiles, includes outsiders, includes people on the margins, people like Bathsheba, people like Ruth, people like Tamar, these incredible stories, people like Rahab. These four women are mentioned, not only, and this is what I love, not only are they outsiders, they all have a little bit of scandal attached to their name. They all have, some of them have large bits of scandal. They have this scandal that's been attached to their story, and they are part of the story. So what is true is there's a place in the kingdom. This kingdom that is coming is begun when Jesus is born, and Jesus ushers it in. And this kingdom is a different way of living. This kingdom is a different, it's different than our world lives. It's different than our country lives. This kingdom is a totally different way to live, and we're invited to live that way.
0: Hmm. You know, Doug, well, it's so fun. Say. Yeah, I feel like we could talk all day, but it's so fun to ask you these questions off the cuff, and it feels like you could just talk more and more about Jesus and the Christmas story. I love that so much, and it has to come from years of study. You went to school, and you studied, and you have preached how many... Christmas Eve service sermons in your life. So many, right?
1: True, true.
0: Does it ever get old?
1: I would say for me, never. This is, you know, I have got so many more sermons about the birth of Jesus. I'm frankly scared that I will die before I have a chance to give them all. Um, There Mm -hmm. is so much depth in this story. There is so much incredible. And we get to come back to this story over and over. I mean, we haven't even mentioned. Most people know about Mary. Most people have heard about Joseph. No, Most people have heard about the shepherds. Most people have heard about the Magi. Very few people know the story of Zachariah or the story of Elizabeth or, oh, za- or Elizabeth and Mary spending time together. Very few people know the story of Simeon and Anna. There is, There are so many incredible characters that are a part of this play and then we have the pain and the grief and we have death. I mean the story of Jesus's birth also includes things that you would never want children to read. A whole city, I mean it reminds me of Gaza and Israel in some way. A whole city has children slaughtered. I mean it's it's a story of grief and pain and sadness. It's got everything in it. So I I never I'm never tired of this. I mean that frankly the day that I'm tired of preaching Christmas and preaching Easter um, Willow, remind me that I need to leave, that I need to be done because this is the story I love to tell. It's the story I love to share. It's the story I wish people would ask me about every day because it's the story of my Savior. It's the story of Jesus. And I've never tired yet of this. I, I will tell you, um, Willow, I got to go to my thirty fifth college reunion. thirty fifth was a long time ago, and I walked <laughs> off I walked off that campus. And I thought, you know, when I walked off that campus, I was a fairly new convert to following Jesus. And my passion was to talk about Jesus. 35 years later, I am so lucky and so blessed. I get to, I have continued for 35 years, I've gotten to share about Jesus. And I still, every day, get to talk to people about Jesus. I feel blessed beyond belief. It's one of the things I am most...
0: I love that. I picture that the day you grow tired of talking about it will be the day you enter in to the eternal place where you get to see Jesus and all these characters face-to-face. You won't hey. have to talk about them anymore. you will just be hanging out.
1: Just be. I, and What will that day be like? I don't know. And I'm sure I will find out that I got a lot of it wrong. I, I am sure <laughs> that I will come and, and he will be like, you gave it a good effort. You did your best. <laughs> You tried hard, but you missed it in so many places. And I'm you sure
0: gave it a good go. We're we're all gonna him. hear that when we meet him. Go. I am
1: oh, I am man. totally convinced that at my very best, eighty to ninety percent of what I believe is possibly true. At my very best, my problem is I have no idea what's the twenty percent that I've got wrong. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what it is. If I knew what it is, I wouldn't get it wrong. Um, but I'm convinced that at that point. Jesus will say, welcome, enter Mm -hmm. in.
0: Well, I appreciate your humility, and I appreciate you most of all inspiring us to want to relearn and dig in and truly check out this Christmas story and for ourselves, and not just fact if that check. Happens, but happens,
1: I will cheer. I will cheer and and to, raise. And you that can
0: already cheer. I'm opening my Bible tomorrow morning, and I'm going to dig into the Christmas story. I uh, also feel just this deep invitation to not only open and reread the story, but also to look for this God who's involved in our story now each and every day, and we can be looking for him. Where is he? Where's he getting involved and how can I participate? So I thank you for the inspiration today, Doug.
1: Thank you, friend.
0: I know there's going to be people listening who want to check out you and what you do and hear more of what you have to say about your Savior. So how can they do that?
1: They're always welcome to join us at First Presbyterian Church of Bellingham. We are on Zoom, we're live stream, and we are in the building at 10 10 a.m. every Sunday morning.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Doug, for hanging out.
1: Blessings well off. So good to be with you.
0: You do. Friend, I hope that this podcast with Doug challenged you to begin to be curious again to begin to unlearn some things and relearn some things and dig into God's word for yourself. Don't take Doug's word for it. But beyond that, I truly do encourage you to open up the Christmas story and read it again with this invitation to consider this. If Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us, then what? Read the stories about him colliding with people and bringing healing and bringing hope and bringing truth and bringing grace. Read the stories of how he spoke up for people who were being bullied and how he cared for the poor and how he wept with those who were grieving. And if this is God in our midst, then what does that mean? for me? And what does that mean for you? That's the invitation, friend. I hope you'll keep colliding. And I hope this week around every corner, you see this God who's involved in your story more and more and more. Merry Christmas, and we'll catch you next week.